0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, why are so many asylum-seeking children going missing in the UK? And what's happening to them? Mark Townsend has spent months investigating the disappearance of children from the streets.
0: On the first day of April, 17-year-old Wasim Hassan disappeared from the centre of Hove. Broad daylight. He was never seen again. Days later, another teenager, Beryon Markaj, 16, vanished nearby. Hours later, a 15-year-old was also reported missing. Four days after that, Alvan Barisha, a 17-year-old whose portrait suggests a pensive, wary character, He suddenly vanished. The same day, a five-foot, five-inch, 17-year-old, Khalid Muha, was last seen wearing a black bomber jacket and white trainers.
1: We've changed their names to protect their identities, but there are hundreds like them, alone and in danger, disappearing into the criminal underworld. The gangs know where to come to get the children, often likely because they trafficked them here in the first place. There is a criminal
0: network involved and the government is completely failing to stop them.
1: These young, vulnerable migrants were supposed to be under the care of the Home Office. Instead, child protection experts say that they're being preyed on by human traffickers and not enough is being done about it. I mean, if we don't know where they are, they could be dead, they could be working away in a cannabis farm, in a factory, domestic servitude, they could be being criminally exploited or sexually exploited.
0: This is a total dereliction of duty that is putting children at risk. We need an urgent
1: and serious action to crack down on these gangs and to keep children and young people safe. From The Guardian, I'm Nosheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, The Children Taken from Home Office Hotels. Mark Townsend, you're Home Affairs Editor for The Observer, and you broke this shocking story of children being abducted from hotels where they had been placed by the Home Office. We now know that 222 children have gone missing. Can you tell me, first of all, who these children are and where they're from?
0: So these children, they're from everywhere, really. Eritrea, Ethiopia, Sudan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Albania. But the one commonality is they've all arrived by small boat from, uh, from France. The Home Office, when they talk about this issue, they're saying, well, you know, most of these children are Albanians. Of the 200 that remain missing, 88% are Albanian nationals. And of the 200 missing, 13 are under the age of 16. You know, as if to sort of try and sort of uh, reduce empathy for these children, you know, and also the fact they may not be trafficking victims, although, you know, the data shows young Albanians are highly trafficked. The important thing is they're all children.
1: And can you tell me a bit about the hotels that they've been placed in? What do they look like? How many of them are there?
0: They're uh, bug standard, run-of-the-mill hotels. There's seven of them dotted around the country, most of them sort of classic British seaside uh, affairs on the south coast. You got a couple in Eastbourne, Folkestone, Hive. Then moving inland, there's one in Oxford, and the, the furthest north is one in is one in Coventry.
1: And so, when did the government begin housing these unaccompanied children in hotels?
0: So, it was the summer of 2021 that there was a kind of surge in um, channel crossings. Lots of children coming over by themselves. Effectively, Kent was full. There's no way for Kent to start placing the children safely. They sort of began begging the Home Office to sort of intervene, and the Home Office came up with a fairly unprecedented solution, which was to commandeer hotels overnight and just start filling them up with these um, with these children. It's gone so wrong because they didn't work out what they were doing. It's it, this is back of an envelope overnight solution. I think in, in Brighton's case, the local council wasn't even told. So the next morning, a of these kids began turning up and, you know, staying in these fairly basic places to stay. Some of them with sort of fairly disreputable kind of backgrounds. They probably assumed it would last a week or two. Um, it's gone on for now 18 months.
1: So if the Home Office has block booked these rooms for these children, do they then hire extra staff? Or is it just the regular hotel staff that is in charge of looking after them?
0: No, so they're bringing the usual kind of inglorious range of contractors. One company would look after security, another would look after the food. You know, they're bringing kind of interpreters from various kind of contractors. The hidden apparatus of the home office, i.e. this private contracting network, would take over. Another failing is some of the staff we know um, weren't given proper criminal background checks, i.e. DBS checks, you know, which you're looking after very vulnerable children in a foreign land, you know, would seem beyond parody.
1: Yeah, well, quite. Mark, what else do we know about how these hotels are run?
0: Not a lot at all. I mean, not many people get access to them. I heard a few people this week, local councillors, lamenting the fact that we're blocked from inspecting them. Um, A couple of MPs have been inside. I saw for myself, having met the children who were there, that some of them were extremely vulnerable. Mm. Vulnerable themselves emotionally and vulnerable if they should leave the premises to being coerced into crime. So I contacted the council, I contacted the police, I contacted the social services, I contacted his department, the Home Office. Mm. The only organisation that responded, I believe, effectively and with the kind of seriousness that you would expect was Sussex Police but they lacked the facilities and the resources and the powers to do the job that needed to be done. It's a fairly bleak environment. You know, the food is dire. You know, I've seen images of uh, ready meals dated March 21. And that was what, five months before the hotel even opened. I've, I've seen other stuff about the Christmas meal they received last year in which um, some of the staff had to throw it out because it was just too revolting. You know, there was no education there's no books. We know there's been instances of racism towards the kids, threats of violence repeatedly, arbitrary detention. Um, you know, staff have master keys, meaning they can enter rooms unannounced. So, I mean, it's a fairly austere, bleak environment, which contributes to these children being pushed into the hands of the, of the traffickers and criminals outside.
1: Mark, when did you first become aware that children were going missing from these hotels?
0: Not long after they, uh, they opened, to be honest. So I just heard on you know various people who, who, who work in this sphere, would start saying, look, some of the kids, are, they're disappearing. No one knew where. And the numbers would suggest something possibly organised was afoot. From previous kind of investigations, I'd looked into Brighton and where the whole hotel was. I knew gangs, um, dangerous gangs, violent gangs with convictions for, a, you know, severe violence, who um, operating two minutes from from that hotel. So, yeah, I mean, I, I began looking into it, really. It took me ages to actually find someone who'd worked in a hotel, in this case, he was a the whistleblower, who worked for the um, security providers Mighty.
1: And can you tell us what he described seeing?
0: You know, he grew quite fond of the children. You know, they, they looked very young. They were clearly kind of discombobulated. They had no parent, no carers. I wouldn't say <laughs> he was a father figure, but he felt quite protective. And he said one of the common complaints was the fact they couldn't sleep. So they were put a safety plan, which meant staff would come in every hour, check where they were, but they couldn't relax. Um, you know, the children would call it you know, akin to torture. You know, it just over days, it would just grind them down to the extent they would, you know, leave. And they'd wander off and come back, and some would wander off and wouldn't. And it, it would, you know, just see cars pulling up, children talking to drivers around the corner, getting into the back of the car, they disappear. You know, he would see the same cars time and time again. You know, there were Albanian drivers who would pick up Albanian kids. train drivers are picking up train kids. So he'd see a pattern forming of criminality, um, which no one really seemed to be doing anything to intervene. He told the Home Office about his concerns, who then the police obviously knew about his concerns. Then it was when nothing kind of was happening. Um, no one was stepping in to protect the kids. I think that's kind of the final straw for him.
1: Why are these children particularly vulnerable to traffickers?
0: Lots of these kids, in fact, the whistleblowers inside the hotels, say the majority of children who who end up in these places. It's across the channel, you have to use traffickers, criminal gangs. So you're in contact with, you know, dangerous people or, or the underworld, for want of a better phrase. And, you know, they may charge you, you know, 10 grand, say. You only have five. So you end up in the UK owing five grand to people who are, dangerous or at least very strong contacts to people who you know might want to do dangerous things you know the majority of children who end up in these places they're very malleable easy to manipulate they're going to be cheap they're going to be desperate they're there to be coerced so as the numbers grew it became quite clear then something organized was uh, was occurring
1: What do you think they'll have been saying to manipulate them?
0: you know they spread the word about Rwanda you know IE look if you guys stay in a hotel, you're going to get sent to Rwanda, you know, so we use that as a way of pushing the kids away from the hotel a wee bit. It could be as simple as, look, I'm going to buy you a meal tonight. You look starving. You know, I'm going to take you to um, play football on the other side of town. It, you know, any any sort of fairly low level grooming techniques. Or it could be, look, we know where your friend is. Do you want to join him? Get in the car, you know, in some accounts quite forcibly.
1: And once they're taken, what happens to them?
0: If you're undocumented and you end up in the criminal underworld, then, you know, it's going to be very hard to get out. For a start, you've got no legal rights to be in the UK. You know, you may end up becoming a professional criminal. You know, um, the only way to survive is to effectively climb the ladder, as it were. Or you may end up increasingly exploited. The chances are, once you're in that world, you know, to come out again, reinvent yourself, it's going to be almost impossible because you haven't got any paperwork. You, you know, you end up being deported, potentially. You know, you're stuck in
1: it. And have you spoken or managed to speak to any of these children that are housed in these hotels? And if so, what what have you been hearing?
0: I talked to some of the children away from the hotels and the streets surrounding. They're, they they seem really confused, to be honest. That they, they dislike the hotels. They feel sort of very clearly discompopulated. You know, some of no phones. They're just sort of um, wandering around, uh, trying to kill time. You know, some I spoke to are um, mourning the loss of friends who've disappeared um, to where they don't know. Uh, I, I think it's just a really sort of bleak, boring, you know, incredibly sort of tragic existence.
1: Mark, it is just so harrowing to hear children who are supposed to be under the care of our government being so easily scooped up off the streets and trafficked into a dangerous criminal world. Just how many children have gone missing so far? And have the authorities managed to locate any of them?
0: So, I mean, hundreds have gone missing, 200-plus now as we speak. I mean, studying the data, it looks around about half I found. Return or one of their friends gives the police some information. We had a child uh, from there turn up in Gloucester, which is a very strong county lines network. We had a child that just turned up in Oxfordshire. One turned up not far from the, the, the Guardian's offices in, in North London, in Tottenham. And they, I mean, they were found in a cannabis farm, which can be very dangerous. Um, you just basically locked in a room. And you don't see daylight for many days, water and plants. But that still leaves, you know, hundreds unaccounted for.
1: Do you think there is a case to be made that, given the kind of care that they were receiving, it did put these children at higher risk of being trafficked or exploited?
0: Oh, yeah, undoubtedly, yeah. I mean, normally, crafted over decades, you'd have local authority care packages. In this situation, you've got the Home Office with no legal responsibility and no experience filling up hotels with these people. These individuals arrived by small boat crossing. The Home Office's view is that anyone who's arrived that way is illegal, and the Home Office don't really feel they owe these kids anything. It's absolutely no surprise. Um, In fact, from the moment it began, Anyone who knew this area was saying this is going to be a disaster. I mean, one of the great tragedies with this, sorry, saga, is from the get-go, the Home Office was told by child protection experts, by the police themselves, this is going on. These children have been taken by dangerous people. You've got to stop this.
1: So, Mark, where are the police in all of this? What have the authorities done to try and rescue these children? And how successful are their efforts?
0: Um, I mean, the police are good. I mean, it's it's very difficult because you've got children who don't even know the land, you you know, don't know the language, you know, we don't know really how the UK operates or or who to trust. You know, if they're taken by individuals who want to hide them, then for the police it's very difficult because quite often these children have no phone, they've got no family, you know, they may have no friends, so there's there's no network to sort of track down. They have made a big efforts to to try and track down lots of these children, and I think there's a real sense of frustration that they haven't been able to, but also some people would say, it was a sort of two-tier response to these missing children, i.e. if they were British, would you really have let so many go missing?
1: Coming up, what is the Home Office saying and what is it doing? Mark, how has the Home Office responded to your reporting around these disappearances?
0: So, the Home Office response was uh, local councils um, have a statutory duty to protect all children. They work closely with local agencies, councils, and police to track down their whereabouts. And then they added that they, they had uh, robust safeguarding procedures in place to, uh, to ensure all children are as safe and supported as possible.
1: So, Mark, it sounds like a fairly neutral, standard Home Office statement, but what did you make of it?
0: I mean, clearly, they're trying to shift blame onto local councils for you know their failings. It would seem to be quite defensive. And secondly, you know, clearly, their above safeguarded procedures are failing because lots of children have gone missing and lots of children remain missing. I mean, it's, it's taken umbrage with the word "kidnap" as if abduction or snatched or taken is, is more preferable. You sort of sense the Home Office was kind of caught off guard, really. I mean, they, they were looking at these people as, you know, illegal immigrants, regardless of their age. And the debate would be, did they do enough to protect them?
1: The Home Office and the local authority seem to be blaming each other. Who is legally responsible for these children?
0: I mean, yeah, yeah. the heart of this um, sort of torture narrative is, is the fact that no one appears to have legal responsibility for the children. Normally, local councils would look after these children with fairly well-rehearsed safeguarding procedures. In this case, the Home Office have taken responsibility without really having the, the framework or the legal duty to do so. And so these children are falling through the cracks. You know, No, no one's actually taken genuine responsibility for their welfare and for why they may have gone missing.
1: Mark, there doesn't seem to be any question that these children have been failed and that the Home Office does bear responsibility for an ill-thought-out and badly enacted policy. What kind of pressure is the government under to change the way it handles the cases of unaccompanied, asylum-seeking children?
0: It's under intense pressure. It needs to start again. I think there's a huge consensus. I think 100 um, organisations wrote to the Prime Minister last week saying these places need to be closed down urgently these children to be put into proper care.
1: This is horrific, Mr Speaker. Vulnerable children are being dumped by the Home Office. Scores of them are going missing. And I can tell the Minister there is nothing specialist about these hotels. We are not asking him to detain children. We are asking the Home Office to apply some basic safeguarding so we can keep them safe. I remember last year when the Home Secretary, Suela Braverman, defended the use of these hotels. Secretary...
0: (laughs) Well, we are currently uh, accommodating um,
1: unaccompanied asylum seeking children in the hotel. This was after she faced criticism over the treatment of asylum seekers in Manston. Is this. I think it's a, a fallacy to suggest that we're somehow. Cutting corners. When I've arrived at the Home Office, I've been, frankly, very dismayed and, and appalled to find that we're spending, on average, £150 per person per night to accommodate people in hotels. By my standard, that's quite a nice hotel. She seemed to suggest that the hotels were a bit of, of a treat. Making was taking place. I identified several four-star hotels around the country being procured for this purpose. How has she responded to the stories of these abductions?
0: I mean, on this issue, she hasn't said anything, which is quite telling. I mean, she had to sort of send her junior ministers to parliament last week to talk about some of the detail. 200 of the children remain missing, and only one of these is female. Uh, There are many reasons why children go missing from care generally. This is true also of unaccompanied asylum-seeking children. And we are not in a position, and it would be wrong, to make generalisations regarding the reason uh, for their going missing. You know, classic defensive posture. No interest really in fixing the asylum system. No interest really in creating another solution.
1: Mark, if missing children are found, what happens to them then? Or will they just end up back in these same hotels?
0: No, thankfully. So rather than ending up back where they came from to repeat the cycle, they're actually put into care. So those that are rescued, are refound, really found um, thankfully are put into a safer place.
1: And in the meantime, what is happening to these hotels and the children still in them?
0: Well, the hotels keep on going. The children keep on being put there. As we speak, I think there's probably uh, 350 unaccompanied children in these hotels. You know, there's no sense that the government's going to change its attitude. There doesn't appear to be any new safeguarding measures being put in place. The police are quite concerned. So, you know, we can expect children to keep disappearing.
1: But what about the gangs themselves? I mean, given the heat that the spotlight now holds on these hotels and sort of nefarious work that they're doing is there any sense that they're holding back or is it business as usual for them
0: there's a sense this year that the rate of disappearances may have slowed down but you know these gangs they're they're smart you know they know how to reach these children they know they're vulnerable so i would expect the gangs will keep on taking them
1: mark can you tell us anything about where this story is taking you next
0: so we've got some leads we're working on. At the moment they appear to be pointing out of London, away from the south coast, hundreds of miles from the hotels where they appear to have gone missing. So the kids we do find, and are finding, are going to be most likely in very dangerous places, working at the behest of very dangerous people. And it's their testimony that's going to be critical to stopping this, to finding out what went wrong, who it really is to blame, and who turned a blind eye.
1: Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was The Observer's Home Affairs editor, Mark Townsend. Do follow Mark's reporting on this story and much more at theguardian.com. He's also written a really brilliant book about gangs, grooming and radicalisation in Britain that I would really recommend you reading. It's called No Return, The True Story of How Martyrs Are Made. And it's out now. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Ned Carter Miles. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back on Monday.
0: This is The Guardian.